Good morning. I'm glad you're all here this morning to worship. And welcome those who are at home watching. Um, I'd like to start this morning with just a question. What is prayer to you? Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Those are some pretty important words. Um, prayer life is very important to me. Um, it's become more important, I think, over these last few months. Um, sometimes it just seems like there's not enough, not enough prayers to, to even say. There's so many things that we need to be thankful for, even in this situation. There's so many things we need to be praying about. There's so many people we need to be praying about. Um, but prayer life is very important to our spiritual growth. Stand with me if you would. Thank you. 
glory and honor and adoration and praise that you do for who you are and all that you've done for us. And Father, come humbly before you as your children who know they can go to their Father with every need, casting it at your feet, knowing that they are strong enough, big enough,
Well, some wonderful, wonderful singing this morning. Great songs. Uh, great to hear the the uh, sound of your voices singing out praises to the Lord. Just really encouraging to me because I want to tell you, it's been a rough, rough week. And um, the title of my sermon this morning is Satan's War of the Ages. And I feel like I've been getting a taste of that this week. Uh, I won't go into all the things that have uh, transpired, but uh, I think sometimes we, you know that that battle is raging. We're going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 12 this morning. And um, before we jump into the message, I want to take just a moment uh, to share with you a, a couple of things. First of all, we just completed our week of vacation Bible school that we did in our gym, and it was a, I think it was a very good week. We had uh, almost 80 uh, people in vacation Bible school during the, this week, and we got to see families uh, and their children working together and enjoying time together. It was just really, it was a wonderful uh, time. And I want to say thank you to all those who help us put together those uh, uh, crafts and snacks and all those things in the in the work boxes, and uh, for all those who helped decorate. I think uh, Kylie was out there for hours taping down squares in the gym. And but I want to say a special thank you to Pastor Travis and to Terry Hanna. They kind of ran everything. Travis came up with the great these great ideas, and as usual, Miss Terry did her uh, uh, her her usual great work with Vacation Bible School. So thank you for that. Good news, we're gonna have some baptisms. If you're if you want to be baptized, you let me know. If you're interested, some of you have previously before all the thing happened told me you wanted to be baptized. We're going to be we're going to be doing that real soon, so if you're interested, let me know. So praise the Lord for that. One other thing, beginning Wednesday evening at 7 p.m., uh we are going to start a new format for that Wednesday evening service. And I'm going to, I'm inviting you to come to an in-person service during that time. The first 30 minutes of that will be a message, and that message will be streamed so that if you're still at home and, and not able to come, you can still get that message part. And then after the message, we're going to have a brief discussion time. And in that discussion, after following that, we'll have a brief prayer time. So we will have some interaction. You'll be here just like you are now, uh, socially distanced and all that kind of thing. But I want to encourage you to to think about coming and being a part of that. Uh, We're starting a new series called More Than Stories, and we're going to be looking at some of the classic, quote, stories in the Bible and the great truths that we sometimes miss in those classic uh, accounts of history of God's people. And so hopefully it will be an encouraging time for you, and we want to encourage you, if you can, to come and be a part of that on Wednesday evening. Well, 
As we come to this great chapter in Revelation, I have wrestled, that's been part of the struggle this week, I've wrestled with how to handle this. There is so much in this chapter that it seems almost impossible to get through it in a reasonable way. So I've wrestled with breaking it down. But on the other hand, it needs to be seen as a whole. And so I've kind of chosen to go with looking at this thing as a whole, and hopefully we can get through this and it will be beneficial to you. As we come to to Revelation 12, this marvelous chapter reveals to us in vivid, symbolic imagery things that cannot be seen with the human eye. These are incredible spiritual truths that are revealed to us in this unique way that only God could bring about. It tells us that there's a cosmic spiritual war raging throughout the universe. Friends, you are in a spiritual war right now. It is happening. And this war has been going on really since the beginning of time. And though this war is spiritual, it nevertheless manifests itself in very concrete ways in the physical world. And, 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 and though this war is, is spiritual, it has a reality in our physical lives right here and now. It tells us that Satan's rebellion against God is is the source, the ultimate source of the evil and the conflict and the destruction that we see all around us in this world. This chapter reminds us that our real enemy is Satan, and he is a powerful adversary. But it also reveals to us his strategies, his methodology, uh, his tactics that he uses in this world. And thankfully, it also tells us the outcome of this battle, this great war. It tells us that we can overcome this powerful spiritual enemy. And the great truth of this chapter is that we can overcome the enemy, but only by the blood of the Lamb. We can overcome our spiritual enemy. And you, this is, a, this is a great truth that we need to cling on because through the blood of the Lamb, we can prevail. Satan's war against God, really, it's a two-front war. First, he, he led a, a mutiny against God among the angels. Of course, you probably know that story. It, it failed. And as a result, Satan himself was cast out of heaven. Then he instituted, initiated a rebellion against God among humanity. And he went into the garden and he tempted Adam and Eve and, and he led them into sin. And it's a plunged the whole human race into this cosmic conflict. And so ever since then, you and I, 
we are a part of this great battle. The opening campaign of Satan's war with, of the ages took place in, in heaven. And when he rebelled, a third of the angels followed him. And these angels that we now know as demons became Satan's stormtroopers, as it were, and they carry out the, be- the bidding of this, their evil lord, Satan. And they fight against God, they fight against the holy angels, and they fight against people. And this war continues to rage. And when Adam and Eve believed Satan's lies and disobeyed God, they plunged all of humanity forever into this war. So since the fall, the earth has been the primary Domain, the primary realm, the, the, the primary arena in which this war has been fought. And it's, it's, it's happening right here in this world. The Lord Jesus, of course, is supreme, superior, and, and Satan's final battles are going to happen in the end time. And Christ is going to crush Satan. He's going to ultimately be thrown forever into the lake of fire. We are going to achieve the victory. And just as we sang this morning, Jesus is going to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He's going to rule. But in the meantime, we are still in the battle. And we still face the the real struggles of being in a spiritual warfare. And, you know, I think it's important for us to understand, as we look at this chapter, that even though these truths are are condensed and encapsulated and given to us in the context of the end time, these truths are relevant for every person of every time. They're they're relevant for our lives today. Now, I, I want us to read this passage. And it has 17 verses, but I want you to get the big picture before we look at the details of this passage. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten hordes on his heads, were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God, to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. 
And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world as he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens. And you who dwell in them, woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to a place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the, but the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you right now because we recognize the incredible uh, challenge that lays before us to understand and even to declare the truths that are uh, captured here in these pages for us. God, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our minds, clear our understanding, help us to grasp, help us to be willing to receive. Lord, give me clarity. Give me clarity of thought. Lord, help my mind so that I might speak what will be helpful to your people and will bring honor and glory to you. I pray that you would draw those who are struggling, Lord, to yourself and they could find your strength and your grace. I pray for those who find themselves on the the wrong side of this war, Lord, that they might be drawn to you and come to you in faith and have the hope of real victory in their lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me remind you of where we are. I'll put up our little graphic that we've been using just to kind of help you along. In chapters 4 through 11, we have been seeing the work of God as he is taking back what belongs to him through the use of the seals and the trumpet judgments. We've been seeing all of this from God's perspective of what God is doing in reclaiming his kingdom. But when we get to chapter 12 and all the way through chapter 14, we, get, we are going to be taken back through the tribulation, and now we are going to look at the tribulation from the perspective not of God's work, but of Satan's work. We're going to be looking and seeing how he uses the Antichrist in the, in the world in order to accomplish his, his purposes and to carry out his warfare against God and against humanity. And so the focus now 
is, is shifted away from the, the judgments of God to the, the war of Satan in the long ages. And so our passage today shows us three realities of Satan's war of the ages. Realities. Realities. I use that word because we're going to look at something called signs. Signs are symbols. But they're not the reality. But these signs point to realities. Something real. And so we see three realities of Satan's war of the ages. And the first we see, thing that we see is that Satan's, Satan attacks God's ruler. And look at, with me to verse 1 again. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Now, the first thing that John sees, again, is this great sign. Now, great simply means that what is John saw is especially significant. Something that we really need to, to pay attention to and care about. And a sign, again, it describes, it's a symbol that points to a reality. So the woman that John sees is not a literal woman, but she is a symbol that points to a greater reality. The question is, what does she symbolize? Now, I could go through and tell you all kinds of things that people will say. One of the most common things that, that people will say is that, this, that she symbolizes the church. The church now is pictured as a woman at the close of Revelation, as the, the bride of Christ. But this is not the, a representation of the church. That's impossible because, the, see, the church does not give birth to Christ. Christ gives birth to the church. Christ builds the church. Christ came before the church. This woman gives birth to the Messiah, to the Son, to Christ. And so it was Christ who produced the church. So this woman represents Israel. And it says again in verse 1 that she was clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. That description clearly reflects Joseph's dream that's recorded in Genesis chapter 37. See, as a young boy, Joseph had a dream that the sun and the moon and 11 stars were all bowing down before him. You'll remember that story. And um, Joseph's father rightly interpreted that dream to mean that Joseph was saying that he and his mother and his and his all of his brothers were going to someday bow down to him. That actually happened because you see Joseph became the second ruler in Egypt. And then his father, his mother, and his 11 sons all came and they bowed down before him. 
This is clearly a description of the nation of Israel. And the Apostle Paul tells us in in Romans chapter 9 that it was from Israel that the Christ came. Israel brought forth the Messiah. And, And that's why Jesus told the woman at the well in Samaria, he says, salvation is from the Jews. That is, this salvation, the truth, the Messiah, and the truth of the gospel comes through the Jewish people to the Gentile people. And, and she's clothed, it says, with the sun, which re- reflects her exalted status as God's chosen nation. The moon reflects her covenant relationship because all the rituals and so forth were lunar by the lunar counter. And then the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this woman, is, she says she was with child. And, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. You know, see, just like a, a pregnant woman in labor feels pain, you see, so the nation of Israel was in pain, waiting for the Messiah to come forth. Israel has been, has been waiting for the Messiah. And, and there's been a, a labor, as it were. And you see... The nation was was in pain then, and in the end time, it's going to again be in pain. Ever since the first promise of the Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3, Satan has been looking for that one that will come from the seed of the woman that will crush his head. So his goal has been to cut off that one that comes from the woman. His goal throughout the history of, of Israel has been to cut off the line of the Messiah, to, to stop him so that he cannot be thwarted. So for centuries, Israel has agonized and, and suffered, longing for this child to come, this one who will destroy Satan, sin, and and death, and establish that promised kingdom. And on the other hand, Satan has been at work to try to prevent this. No nation has suffered as long and severely as the nation of Israel. Sometimes it's from God's chastening, and sometimes it's from the persecution that Satan brings. So the, the, the woman represents Israel. The dragon represents Satan, and that's pretty easy to determine. In verse 3, it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her. Now, the, the, the dragon is easily identified because in verse 9, it tells us that the great red, red dragon is the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan. He is the, the serpent of old, the very one who appeared to Eve in the Garden of Eden and deceived her and introduced sin into the human race. Now, if you think about a dragon, is really that's a terrifying symbol. 
It's kind of a a glorified serpent, a more robust, a more terrifying kind of serpent. It's, It's a serpent on legs with seven heads. And in fact, dragon, this word in Hebrew can be translated monster and sometimes is. He is red, which is the color of fiery destruction and bloodshed, revealing Satan's vicious, deadly nature. And the dragon has, again, has seven heads and ten horns on his head, which, which he says, uh, on his head were seven diadems. So Satan is pictured here as a seven-headed monster. Sounds like a Godzilla movie, doesn't it? And Satan has to be has been allowed to rule and to reign in this world up until now. And he has seven diadems, it says, the the, the royal these are royal crowns signifying authority and power. They represent seven world empires that have run their course throughout the Bible under Satan's domain. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the final kingdom, Antichrist kingdom. And the final kingdom is going to be ruled by Antichrist, and it's going to be a ten-nation confederacy. Ten horns represent ten kings that will rule under the authority of Satan under his man, the Antichrist. And we'll talk about this more later. But let's give you this idea. So what we're picturing here, you see, is the fact that Satan is a ruler, has been a ruler over the world, and he is going to be a ruler over the world. And this picturesque language that John uses, the, the dragon's tail, it says, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Now, stars here refer to angels when Satan fell. And he swept away a third of the angelic host with him, and they are now on where? On the earth. This is where they are at work. And it tells us in the last part of verse 4, he says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that, he, so that when she gave birth, he might do what? Devour her child. What is his goal? To destroy God's anointed ruler. To cut off the Messiah. And this course takes us back to the birth of Jesus, the days of the Roman Empire and, and Herod the Great. And, and Satan tries to use Herod the Great to destroy the baby Jesus, to destroy the Messiah of Israel. And when he heard that one had been born king of the Jews, the Bible tells us that he went and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all of its vicinity from two years old and under. But of course, God had warned Joseph in a dream, and he had taken his family to Egypt, and so that was averted. So, do you get the picture here? We're getting a sweep of history. We're getting a picture of Satan's long war of the ages against God. We've seen him in the Garden of Eden. We've even seen him in heaven before time began. 
We've seen him in here in the, in the, in the kingdoms of the world. We've seen him here now in the future with his antichrist. And we've seen him here even at the birth of Christ. You see, he has been at work in throughout history. This is Satan's war of the ages. And his effort is to attack God's anointed ruler. But then we see them, that brings us to the male child who represents, of course, Christ. He tells us in verse 5, And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, in spite of Satan's relentless effort to prevent this, the woman, Israel, gives birth, he says, to a son. And this is the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Israel brought forth the Messiah. It also represents his coronation. You see, he is to rule all the nations of the world with a rod of iron when he establishes his millennial kingdom on the earth. And and that phrase comes from Psalm 2, which indicates that the Messiah will establish his kingdom and have absolute dominion over all the nations of the earth. And he will rule with righteousness. And he will rule with justice. And, and between Christ's incarnation and his, and his coronation came his exaltation. You see, when he was caught up to God, he was caught up to his throne, which is a reference to his ascension. Christ's exaltation, of course, signifies that God has accepted the work that Christ did in the atonement. The, the, the redemption is now complete. It's been accomplished. So Satan attacked God's ruler, but he couldn't stop him from accomplishing the redemption that God had designed. And now he is at the right hand of God, a perfect and righteous redeemer the world. So, Satan attacks God's ruler, but then we see a second reality. Satan attacks God's realm. And there are at least four ways that Satan attacks God's realm. First of all, he attacks with demons. Look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Now, the grammatical construction here indicates that Satan is the one who initiates this battle. In other words, Satan makes a full-on assault against heaven against the realm of God, and Michael and his angels fight against them. And and thankfully, praise God, they were not strong enough. And what happens? They're thrown out of heaven, again, this time permanently. Uh, 
it's, it's kind of incomprehensible to think about this. You see, right now, Satan has access to heaven. We could, we could show that in several ways, but one I think about is the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you all hear that? When you watch the news, remember, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Where? In the heavenly places. They are even in heaven. Throughout this present age, Satan has access to heaven. But at this point, when Satan launches an all-out assault against heaven, God has had enough, and he says, you're done. Permanently. Satan attacks us with his demons. I doubt he's here personally today, but I have no doubt that his representatives are here. They are. Satan attacks God's realm with deception. Verse 9 says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, the primary way that Satan attacks God's kingdom is with deception. See, the serpent of old is cunning and subtle and treacherous And he deceives the whole world. Did you hear that? He deceives the whole world. He has this world deceived. That's why we see all the things going on. That's why we see people living like the devil. Because they are deceived. And, you know, devil means, or excuse me, Satan means adversary. He's our enemy. He portrays himself to be our friend, to do good for us, to offer us something. But in reality, he is our enemy. He's our adversary. And devil, the devil is a liar. Uh, He lies to us about God. He lies to God about us. He lies about everything. He's a liar. And Satan is in control of all the systems of this world where there is an opportunity to communicate ideas, thoughts, philosophies to the world. That's how he works. So Satan is in control of education. If you're in the education system, I'm sorry, it's just a reality. Guess who your boss is? It's the devil. Satan is in control of media and Need it say social media. Satan is in control of these things. Satan is in control of government. Satan is in control of entertainment. Because he is not just entertaining you, he is entertaining you for the purpose of putting his eye lies, his deceptions into your mind and thinking and that you will receive it. It's just like he's putting poison 
in uh, delicious food. And people say, oh, well, I've got to have that. And they receive that, and it gets in their system, and it poisons their minds. His goal is to speak to your mind his lies and to deceive the whole world. He is constantly pumping out propaganda and falsehoods and empty philosophies, anything to deceive you and destroy you. He attacks us with deceptions, and, and he attacks God's realm with accusations. Verse 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Now remember, the devil means slanderer, false accuser. And he accuses people to God. He accuses God to people. He tells lies to people about God. And he accuses people to people. Have you ever had anybody come up to you and tell you about another person? Guess who's talking? When somebody is slandering another person, guess who's talking? That's right. And what's he trying to do? He is trying to divide us. He's trying to destroy us. He's always trying to bring us before God's righteous bar of judgment and condemn us. But thankfully, the kingdom of Christ will prevail. He's a he, he, he's an accuser, and listen, he he attacks God's kingdom with death. See in verse last part of verse eleven it says they did not love their life even when faced with death. Jesus tells us that Satan is not only a liar, but that he's a murderer. And he has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And he uses the fear of death to turn people away from the kingdom of God. That's what the point of persecution. That's the point of what's happening in China when people are being carried off to camps and disappeared. That's what hap- that's, that's the point when you watch on TV and see someone in some Muslim nation being beheaded. He says, don't you put your faith in Jesus. Don't you do go there. It's the fear of death that he attacks the realm of God with death. But you know what I love about verse 11? It tells us how we can overcome our adversary, how we can overcome Satan's attacks. First of all, it tells us that we can come overcome by the blood of the Lamb. It says there in verse 11, part of the first part of that verse, he says, and they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Have you ever heard the devil accusing you? Have you ever heard a voice in your head saying, what kind of Christian are you? Look at, look at the way you've acted. You know, you mess up all the time. Man, God could never love you. 
What makes you think you could ever be acceptable to God? Have you ever heard that voice in your head? Well, guess who's saying that? That is the accuser. But, but, but how do you handle that? Well, first thing you got to do is you just got to admit that it's true. Because <laughs> it is true, right? We are, we are a mess. We blow it all the time. We act like we shouldn't. We do things that are hurtful, harmful to other people. It's true. Admit it. But then we remind the devil of the blood of the Lamb, of the cross of Christ. There on the cross, Christ bore our sin and took the penalty. He paid the penalty for all of our sins so that we will never have to pay that penalty. And we will never, we can never even be accused of that before God. Because God accepts us as he accepts his own son, Jesus Christ, in perfect righteousness. That's the truth. And you know, that's why Paul says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I came across a poem that describes that kind of that Christian experience. It says this, I sinned and straightway post haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. He said, this soul, this thing of clay and sod has sinned. Tis true that he has named thy name, but I demand his death, for thou hast said, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Shall not thy sentence be fulfilled? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to his doom. What other thing can righteous ruler do? And thus he did accuse me day and night. And every word he spoke, oh God, was true. Then quickly one rose up from God's right hand, before whose glory angels veil their eyes. He spoke, each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled, the guilty sinner dies. But wait, suppose his guilt were all transferred to me and that I paid his penalty. Behold, my hands, my side, my feet. One day I was made sin for him and died that he might be presented faultless at thy throne. And Satan flew away. Full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. That's the meaning of the blood of the Lamb. See, there is no way to handle the accusations of the accuser. There's no way to handle our sins before God except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when he covers us and he washes us, he makes us perfectly acceptable before the Lord. Now, the blood of Christ is totally sufficient for our guilt. But what about for other people? How do we help them? You know, there are millions of people today whose, whose lives are empty and, and lonely and filled with fear. All around us, they're trying to overcome their sense of, of, of guilt or shame. 
Friends, you may not know this, but our world is filled with, with guilt and shame and emptiness. That's why so many people are killing themselves in the world. And they lose, try to lose themselves in, in pleasure and drugs and alcohol and sex or whatever. But none of that is fulfilling. What's the answer? How do we help them? Well, the answer is by the word of our testimony. You see that in verse 11? And because of the word of their testimony. What testimony? The testimony of what God has done for me. The testimony of who Christ is and why he could do that for me. You know, Christians need to share what God has done in their lives. That's called a testimony. We need to tell people that God has delivered us and freed us and and changed our lives. How many of you had someone in your life that was telling you that truth and telling you that you had hope because there was one who would forgive you. His name is Jesus Christ. How many of you heard that over and over and thought about it? You can be that person in someone's life. You can be the testimony of Jesus, the hope that there is freedom, that there is life, eternal life, that there is meaning and purpose, that there is freedom from guilt and shame. You see, These people witnessed to the joy and the peace that the Lord had brought in their life. And it was by the word of their testimony. But then he tells us that we we overcome by the sacrifice of our life. You say, well, that doesn't sound very good. Listen to what he said. Satan was overcome because they did not love their life even when faced with death. They would give up anything but Christ. They cared more for his honor and for his truth than all of their possessions, for all the status of men, for all the benefits that anyone could give. You know, there's a wonderful song called, I'd Rather Have Jesus. I'd rather have Jesus than anything, you know, than silver or gold or lands or anything. And friends, when you come to realize the value of Jesus Christ, you would rather have Jesus than anything. And these are people that sing that song. They would rather give up their life than bring dishonor to the name of Christ. You know, a sure mark of a believer is that they continue into faith in faith even to death. In the words of Jesus, he says, Matthew 24, 13, one who endures to the end, he will be saved. That's the way to overcome Satan. You see, it means that you have not only exercised faith in the blood of Christ, and you've not only uh, exercised love toward others by sharing your testimony, but that you have taken hold of Christian hope. What that Christian hope is, is that this life is not all there is. That we have the hope of real life, eternal life, forever in heaven. And that's the most important thing. Now you put it all together, what do you get? Faith, hope, and love. You heard those words before? This is is the way to overcome Satan and his war against God's realm. And, And then it tells us in verse 12, For this reason... Rejoice, O heavens, 
and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you having great wrath knowing that he is only a short time. You see, there's a, there's a kind of a two, two ways, two aspects of this, right? This is the way we live, the tension that we live with. There's, there's a sense in which we rejoice in that cry. We know Christ is the ruler. We know we have the victory. We also know that right now Satan is very active and he's full of wrath and rage in the world in which we live. That's the world in which we live in. And you see, if we we're going to overcome, we recognize that Christ is greater and we choose that way. There's a, there's a third reality and it tells us that Satan attacks God's remnant. In verse 13, he says, when the dragon saw that, the, that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. The word persecuted there literally means to pursue, to chase, or to hunt. And this is Satan hunting the believing remnant of Israel, stalking them, seeking to destroy them. And and Satan's onslaught against the Jews during the tribulation will begin, we're going to see, with the rise of the power of Antichrist. And during that first three and a half years of tribulation, Satan is going to extend his power. And once he becomes the ruler of the world, then Satan will use this one for his evil purposes. You see, Antichrist is going to, as we've kind of already seen a little bit, we're going to see that he makes a pact with Israel, and he establishes a peace. He, as he always does, he comes to us as our friend rather than our adversary, and he's going to set them up and say, hey, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to protect you, but then at the middle of that three-year, three-and-a-half-year, or that seven-year tribulation, Satan is going to set up the abomination of desolation, and that is going to begin the all-out attack upon Israel and upon other people of God in the world. And at that point, Antichrist will become Israel's persecutor for the last half of the tribulation and reveal his true nature. Now, what does God do? in the midst of this, in the in, in light of this. And by the way, this happens in the end time with Israel, but there's a very real sense in which this happens right now in our lives. Satan is persecuting the church. He's always persecuting God's people. But let me tell you what God does. God delivers his people. See verse 14? But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place. Now, you may remember that in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15 that Jesus told the Jewish people, he says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Now, this is just figurative language that symbolically pictures Israel's escape from Satan's assault. He's attacking Israel. And the the striking imagery of two wings of the great 
eagle is taken from Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4 where it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. In other words, this is a picture of God delivering his people. And what God is going to do is he is going to deliver his people, probably not with an airplane. You say, well, how will he deliver them? Well, I'm not sure. I don't know. God was going to make a way. I mean, he parted the Red Sea. Uh, He probably can come up with something even better than that. He's good at that. Now, but then something else God does, God nourishes his people. See, the last part of verse 14 says, where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time, that's three and a half years, from the presence of the serpent. Now, nourish there literally means to feed. And if you're fleeing into the mountains and you're not looking back and not taking anything with you, how are you going to survive out there in that wilderness and in those mountains and those rocks? Well, they're going to need some nourishment. What's God going to do? I don't know. He just says he's going to nourish them. He may provide manna like he did to the children of Israel out in the wilderness. He may, some of those rocks may become fountains. I don't know. One thing that may also happen is you remember in Matthew chapter 25, 4 or 5, right after Jesus tells us about his, his coming, that it tells us that the angels are going to gather all the elect or all the people of the earth and there's going to be a judgment and the sheep and the goats are going to be divided. And he's going to say to the people on the right, he says, uh, uh, come and inherit the kingdom that's prepared for you for, before the foundation of the world. And they're going to say, why? And he's going to say, because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you, you visited me. And they're going to say, well, when do we see you in all those situations? And he's going to say, because when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. It may be that God is going to use all kinds of people in the world to minister to these Jews during that time to feed them, to give them something to drink. Like the Jews were helped by so many people during the Holocaust. I don't know. But listen, God is going to protect his people. God is going to nourish his people. And you can guarantee that when you're following God, God always provides for you. And, and listen, God frustrates his adversary. See, in verse 15, it says, And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and the wo- after the woman, so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. Now, a flood of water symbolizes overwhelming trouble. You know, it just flows over you, it overwhelms you. And, and sometimes, in Scripture, it pictures an invading army, a destroying army. Satan's attacking force will sweep through the wilderness toward the people of God, like a, like a river, like a flood. But something's going to happen. God's going to open up the earth and swallow all that invading horde. Or he's going to, that may be literal or, or it may be figurative. See, in, in dramatic fashion, he says, the earth helped the woman. It opened its mouth and drank up the river, which the dragon poured out of his mouth. 
That's kind of reminiscent of the description of Pharaoh's army, isn't it? In Exodus 15, it says, you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. That's how he pictures what happened with the, with the sea. The earth just swallowed them. Friends, God can do anything. And I don't know how he will do this, but he will do this. You see, at every turn, God frustrates Satan's efforts to destroy God's people. And verse 17 just tells us, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, some people identify the rest of her children with uh, with whom Satan's going to make war as the 144,000. Others say that they believe it's the Gentiles that are in the tribulation, the believing Gentiles. But, but I, think it's just, I think it's just better to see this as an all-inclusive term, all those who are followers of Jesus Christ, not identified as Jews or Gentiles, but simply as believers, because it says it, it describes them as those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, the testimony of Jesus here is not testimony about him, but the testimony that he gives, the truth. And so you hold to that truth in obedience. Those who obey God is what he's talking about. Let me ask you, there is a war raging in the universe right now. Which side are you on? If you're on Satan's side, you're going to lose. You're already lost. If you're with God, you may face some difficulties, some adversities, but the confidence that we have is that by the blood of the Lamb, we will overcome. And when we have the blood of the Lamb covering our lives, then we have a testimony about that. A testimony that would enable us, it's so great, it's so incredible, it's so wonderful that we could actually give up these physical lives in obedience to our Lord. That's real salvation. That's real hope. Where are you today? Have you come to trust Jesus Christ? Have you been willing to turn from the lies? Because believe me, even right now, if you're not a believer, Satan is going to be whispering lies in your ears, falsehoods, and he's going to say, he's going to deter you in every way possible. He is, a, he is battling, he is fighting against you with every ounce of his strength to turn you away from God. The war of the ages is not in the future for you. The war of the ages is right here and now in this moment. The war is for you to turn your heart over to God. That's the battle you face. And that determines all of eternity for you. And I would encourage you, if you've never done this, today, you just need to quiet your heart before God and you need to say, God, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin. And I'm willing to turn as best as I know how away from my sin and trust you 
and I want to walk with you, and I want to obey you as best as I know how. It's an attitude of the heart. But it also tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Will you do that? And friend, if you're, you're a believer, maybe today you've been reminded that there's a war. Life is not always easy. And there is a war raging. And we need to be good soldiers in the battle with the Lord and faithful to him with confidence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this incredible chapter. I know, Lord, there's so much left unsaid about it. But I thank you for the truths that you gave us today. And I pray that you would turn the hearts of those who have never trusted you to you. Give them the grace today to be on the winning side. Renew the encouragement, the, the purpose, and the, and the intensity of believers. Lord, we might walk faithfully with you and bring glory and honor to you. God, give us a new desire in our hearts to give testimony to what you have done, to bring you glory. And God, help us to be faithful to you even unto death. And so, Lord, we pray these things now in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you made a decision today about this, I would love to hear from you. I know we've got all kinds of restrictions restrictions because of things going on, but listen, make the effort to to follow through and just, just let me know about your decision. I think it will help you and it will encourage me. With that, you are dismissed.